Welcome to the University Catholic. Welcome to the University Catholic Podcast. I'm Nacho. I'm Monse. Thomas. And I'm Kylie. And today we have a very, very special guest with us. He's a chaplain here at the University of Texas at San Antonio. His name is... Father Jason Martini. Woo! Um, So, Kylie, you can start us off with your weekly cat joke. Yeah, okay. Well, this one's not too hard. I'm thinking y'all can get it, but, you know, let's let's just try it. So, um, yeah, why don't cats play poker in the jungle? Because there are a lot of cheetahs. (laughs) (laughs) How do you just... I feel like you Google these things before you come. No, I've heard that one before. Oh. Sorry. I'm this one wasn't fine. a long joke this Jeez. time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the long ones are more fun. But, long uh, ones are better. Yeah, so. So as we asked our previous two guests, we asked them if you weren't aware, we asked them, oh, if you could be the patron saint of anything, what would it be? And so um, Kedrick said Yetis and Chacos. Uh, Veronica and Daniel were polar opposites where Daniel said just winging things and <laughs> Veronica said preparing for everything and so that was kind of, kind of funny to see but now Father Jason the question is to you if you could be the patron saint of anything what would it be? I think I would be patron saint of audio files because I love to listen to music and collect mm. vinyl and I have nice. a, a pretty nice turntable Oh yeah. yeah. Father oh, Jason nice. has a wonderful collection of vinyls and cassettes and CDs really? so yeah awesome. I'm just starting mine out I got a, um, a record player for uh, for Christmas and uh, at least one vinyl. And like so start starting my collection. Yeah, it can be an expensive hobby. Sometimes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> now I know what to get you. Like now I know what you get you for gifts because that'll help you build it. Yeah, I feel like just never talking about probably like the best time to like get a vinyl is just going like those old record old mm-hmm. record shops and like the boxes. They're like yeah. oh five dollars for this box and you don't right. know what you're getting. Yeah. yeah, it's just funny to see like the art, the disc art, and all that. It's mm-hmm. just funny to see all that, mm-hmm. but. Oh, yeah. Um, diving into everything, today our episode is going to basically um, be spiritual fatherhood and what that means and the role of a priest in today's society and how important it is to have um, great priests in this world today. Um, and so Father Jason is going to give us a little bit of background on his priestly duties and his priestly calling, and we're also going to ask him some questions. So Father Jason, you can take it away on like your kind of personal testimony and how you came to know Christ through your vocation. Okay, thank you. Well, it's nice to be here. I, I grew up going to public school and the public school products uh, here in the United States. I grew up in South Texas in a family where we always went to church on Sundays, uh, never missed. I remember shortly after First Holy Communion was when I first started serving at Mass as an altar server. And I think from that moment forward, that calling was there, even though I couldn't recognize it or didn't immediately identify it. It was just a fascination with uh, being asked as a young boy to do something so important that my family held in such high esteem, which is the Mass. And then also uh, God placed in my path wonderful pastors at my parish that were just such a good example to me. And it seemed like every single one of them was great in some way, and I really looked up to them. And then just being that close to the Eucharist and being able to, in some way, assist the priest and how he celebrated Mass was very profound to me. I didn't understand it at first. I thought everybody who was serving Mass had that same attitude, but it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. And I think as I, as I kept getting older in high school is when a lot of uh, people who serve at the altar decide, no, I'm not going to do that. I've kind of grown out of that. I continued doing it, helping train the younger uh, boys and girls to serve at Mass. And probably my junior year in high school is when I started thinking about discerning a priestly calling. And I wasn't sure. I met with my, my pastor at my church and discussed it a few times. I was never completely sure, so I did what everybody else did. I applied to go to college and went to, to the university. 
And my first year in the university, I started going to daily mass regularly. And really since during the mass from the Holy Spirit, a calling to the priesthood. And it was more just the sense of incredible peace and comfort and welcome that I had being in the church and being in the mass. And at some point, the pastor announced that they had a vocation discernment group that was meeting on Wednesday nights. And this one was for young men, so I started attending and realized that maybe I do have a calling. Um, I was in the middle of university, and I actually was about to leave my degree program and enter the seminary. And I talked to my parents about it, and they convinced me that, well, God has you here at the university right now. Why don't you finish your degree? So I had some scholarships and other things were already taken care of and covered, and I was already on this degree program. So I thought they had a lot of wisdom there, that if God's calling was really present, it would always be there. And then after I got my degree, then I could keep exploring it. So I did that, but while I was at the university, I kind of was led astray by a worldly life as well. I really enjoyed socializing and going to parties and things. And I felt like I was pulled in two different directions. And so I wasn't responding to that calling at that moment. I kind of got lured away um, by the social life in college. And as I got lured away, I started having more worldly aspirations. And I started thinking, you know, I want to be a lawyer. And I started looking into a pre-law type degree. And there's nothing specific for it, but I started looking in that direction. And after I graduated, I went to law school. And I think over my last years in college, I, I didn't go to mass very regularly. And my prayer life really waned. But then in law school, it was so difficult. I, I found myself going to Mass again, just praying to God for help. I was also closer to where my parents lived, so when I'd visit them on the weekends, I would go to Mass with them. And as I started going to Mass again and praying again, I sensed this calling. And as I sensed this calling, I was in a conundrum because I was right in the middle of law school. So I finished that degree, started working, really wanted to get married and have a family, have kids. And it's amazing how God will really let you get whatever it is you want out of life. If you pursue it, he'll let you have it, but I don't think you'll find happiness. And as I pursued my career more, as I got more involved in a relationship with this young lady, and I was thinking more about marriage, the more I started having this pang of regret of, you know, what about the priesthood? And through a lot of discernment, I started looking back on my life in a prayerful way and realizing that God has always been pointing me in the direction of the priesthood. And that really I wasn't willing to make the sacrifice or I was afraid because I, I thought what I wanted would bring about happiness in my life rather than trusting in God's will that that would be the path to happiness. So finally after a bunch of little signs and a, a, after a bunch of really intimate prayer especially before the Blessed Sacrament I finally asked God for a sign and it was really in the form of telling God that God I think I know what you're calling me to if this is it, my answer is yes, but please just show me some type of sign so that I'll be affirmed. And he gave me a sign that was unmistakable. And from that moment forward, I started applying to enter the seminary. And I found great peace once I entered the seminary, even though there's still struggles in life, as there is with everybody's life. But found great peace, and, you know, I'm very affirmed in my calling to the priesthood. Um, thank you so much for sharing, Father. Yeah, thank you. Um, so... With that beautiful testimony, we'll go into like kind of talking about spiritual fatherhood and what that kind of means for us, what that means to father, and what that means for like us as like a culture right now. And so, uh, Father, how would you define spiritual fatherhood? You know, that's a really interesting question. In all my classes in seminary, 
I can't recall having discussed that concept ever. But looking at it now, uh, I think where it became important to me in my first few years after ordination, it seemed to be the bishop's plan that he wanted me to experience a bunch of different assignments in different settings, in different sized parishes, in different circumstances. And so I was moved around from assignment to assignment, which is kind of contrary to traditional practice. Usually when you're ordained, they keep a priest in the same parish for several years to get their feet underneath them. I think since I was a, a second career, you know, I entered seminary at a later age in my early 30s, that maybe they thought I had the maturity for this. So I got bounced around a lot and I was really finding, despite I think doing very good uh, priestly work, I think I was be finding uh, some dissatisfaction in my, in my calling at this point. And my spiritual director was a religious priest at the time. Uh, I'm a diocesan priest, by the way. The spiritual, or, or the, the religious priest who's my spiritual director, he was accustomed to being moved around. He was much more of a missionary. So I was talking to him about it, and I wasn't really getting the insight that I'd hoped for. There was still some missing uh, components. I started talking to one of the priests that I was around growing up, and he's a diocesan priest, and he mentioned spiritual fatherhood, that you're missing out on that because you're, you're building a rapport with, with uh, the flock that you're assigned to in whatever parish it is, and you're kind of being pulled out of that flock before you can start seeing some of the fruits of what your guidance or your presence are producing. And so I thought, he's got to be right. That's got to be it. Because once I finally got settled down in an assignment for more than a year, I started really sensing this idea of spiritual fatherhood. Before I was assigned here to be a chaplain at this university, uh, I visited another major university in the state of Texas, which I graduated from, Texas A&M University. And I visited the pastor there about a semester before I, was, I came here to this assignment. And this pastor is wonderful. You can tell he's going to be one of those bishops probably at some point. He's very intelligent, very well-rounded, a very good priest. Um, and I asked him uh, the question about, you know, what is your experience of spiritual fatherhood? And he paused and looked very thoughtful for a while. And he said, that's a really good question. And he said that it's a very profound experience for him, and he thinks that that's kind of the reward that you have from being a priest, living a celibate life. That even though you're only around students for maybe two or three or four years, depending on how long their university career is, you can really see the growth that comes about in them, and it's very satisfying. And that's what I found too. So to answer your question, how would I define spiritual fatherhood? I would think you would have to look at biological fatherhood and realize it's not that at all. But that spiritual fatherhood for me is more being offering others spiritual guidance, being a point of stability in their life that is never about me or my priesthood, but it's more about me introducing them to Christ, introducing them to an awareness of the Holy Spirit, to the mercy of God the Father, and kind of doing a handoff. And I say this a lot when I preach or just to the students that I think my main job as a priest is to provide opportunities for others to have an encounter with our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I think that's really spiritual fatherhood is providing opportunities for encounter and helping them along. You, you know, not telling them this is the way to do it because there's so many ways to do it, but giving them advice as I listen to them and as I open myself up to journey with them and to really kind of uh, carry with them some of their, their difficulties or challenges in life and, and try to help them out and give them, 
advice on how to pray or how to be more open to God's will and how to really encounter our Lord Jesus Christ in the sacraments and through prayer with scripture, mm -hmm. through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom that comes from that as well. So to me, spiritual fatherhood is, is being passing the baton from, from, yeah. from Jesus to the person who's seeking and then always being humble and saying and recognizing that it has nothing to do with me and it's ultimately their relationship with God. So in this setting in the university, I think it's even more present because I'm only around students for maybe two, three, or four years. And I feel confident that if they develop that relationship with Christ and I can help them develop that relationship, Jesus is gonna take care of the rest as they keep going about their lives and as they enter into married life or whatever calling they find themselves drawn to. Mm -hmm. yeah. Awesome. Um, so you actually kind of answered my first two questions, but I was another question I was going to ask was, um, what are some practical tips to practicing spiritual fatherhood, like in each vocation that men are called to, so not just as a priest? Practical tips. You know, one of the, one of the things that y'all were discussing with me before we began this recording for this podcast is, um, you know, how is spiritual fatherhood practiced in the lay person's mm -hmm. life? Mm -hmm. And I can't answer that as well because I'm not a lay person anymore. I'm ordained, but this is what I've witnessed. When I was in the seminary, I think the best young men who I thought would make the best priests, they had great parents. Their parents really introduced them to Christ. Their parents really taught them about the faith and made the faith something real to them, not invisible, but something very visible and tangible. Um, I see that in many good young men and young women who are really lovingly discerning God's calling for them. And I always think it begins in the home. And in that regard, you know, parents are so blessed because they can be biological mothers and fathers, but they can definitely be spiritual mothers and fathers. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's not even necessarily teaching them how to pray, but just being there for them to build a trust system where the son or daughter feels comfortable approaching their parents, where they can open up to them and they can share their struggles with them. And actually I was thinking, I have a joke that I want to share. But, you know, this is the beauty for me of the diocesan priesthood, is that in so many ways, the diocesan priest has to be the jack of all trades. You have to provide for the needs of everyone who walks in the doors of the parish. And you have to deal with the parish, too, in so many administrative ways that I think a lot of young priests, young diocesan priests are kind of flummoxed by, is, is being an administrator and mm -hmm. dealing with that. But being an administrator is the same thing as your mother and father taking care of the bills and taking care of all of the requirements of maintaining a household so that their son or daughter has a good environment to grow up in. But uh, I just recently encountered this joke. I really love it. Uh, Sister Clarice sent this to me. <laughs> <laughs> and the joke goes, during a Eucharistic Congress, a number of priests from different orders are gathered in a church for Vespers. While they are praying, a fuse blows out and all the lights go off. The Benedictines, they continue praying from memory without missing a beat. The Jesuits begin to discuss whether the blown fuse means they are dispensed from the obligation to pray Vespers. The Franciscans compose a song of praise for God's gift of darkness. 
The Dominicans revisit their ongoing debate on light as a signification of the transmission of divine knowledge. The Carmelites fall into silence and slow and steady breathing. <laughs> the diocesan priest goes to the basement and replaces the fuse. <laughs> and, and I find that very accurate. I find it very accurate because really the life of the diocesan priest is to be much more of a jack of all trades. So I think you see that in parents that might not understand spiritual fatherhood or spiritual motherhood, motherhood and how they just care and provide for their, for their young ones. And of course, you know, the church has always taught that, you know, the family is so important in faith. And you see the breakdown of so many family units in our modern society today. And I think you see a lot of young people not realizing it, but having a great need for a good mother or father figure in their lives. And uh, I think there's even now a greater corresponding need for spiritual motherhood or spiritual fatherhood. You know, which is just that mentoring role to introduce them to Christ. Um, with that, uh, you know, with that knowledge of saying that all people are called to a certain degree of spiritual fatherhood, uh, especially in your position, how is, you know, what are some of the present day challenges to being a spiritual father in today's culture, mm -hmm. especially with a lot of uh, biological fathers uh, not really you know, living up to their role? The challenge is, the biggest challenge by far is, is trust. I, I think with the, uh, the clergy sex abuse scandals, trust is incredibly damaged. And I think this hurts, you know, the faith. It hurts the transmission of the faith. And, and you, you see it with, with biological parents too. It, you know, so, so many young men leave uh, leave the mother and you have so many single mothers bringing up families so so a lot of people have tr trust issues with a father figure um, a lot of kids grow up in abused situations not necessarily sexual abuse but just neglect or some type of uh, physical abuse and so trust relationships are so hurt and I think that's really what's happened in the United States where you have such a strong culture of individualism that everybody's wanting to be as strong as they can on their own and unless you have good trusting relationships where you will not be violated or taken advantage of, that the spiritual father or spiritual mother is only giving in the example of God and how our Lord Jesus Christ gave himself to us, I think it takes time and a lot longer time to build those trusting relationships because many people close themselves off. Many people close their hearts to it. And uh, the primary focus has to be on trust, and that's, that's the big challenge in culture today. Um, I think it's even difficult in priesthood, because even amongst priests, um, I've met priests out there who are, I think, very focused on their career as priests. And obviously this is a calling that there's no, there should be no inkling of a sense of career. It's about you serving the people in whatever setting you find yourself in. Before I entered the seminary, I did a lot of reading. Um, this is after recognizing God's call and deciding I was going to enter. I applied, and it was in the fall of 2007, and I entered seminary in August of 2008. So I kept working and doing a lot of reading, and I came across this one. Um, it's not a prayer, but it's called Thou Art a Priest Forever. And it's by a Franciscan priest, I believe he's Franciscan, named John Baptiste Henry Lacordaire. And I love this so much that I printed it out and put it on my door in the seminary. 
so that when people knock on your door, the other seminarians, they usually read what you have on your door while they're waiting for you to answer. And I was surprised that I maybe got three comments on it. And I found it very profound. I've saved it. And to me, this has been my ideal of the priesthood. And I think this ideal, as I strive toward it, or as many good priests strive toward this ideal, I think this is what goes into being a spiritual father. Um, and this is what uh, this, this priest has said. And this is from the early 1800s or mid-1800s. To live in the midst of the world with no desire for all its pleasures. To be a member of every family, yet belonging to none to share all sufferings, to penetrate all secrets, to heal all wounds, to daily go from men to God to offer him their prayers and petitions, to return from God to men to bring them his pardon and joy, to have a heart of fire for charity and a heart of bronze for chastity, to bless and to be blessed forever. O oh God, what a life, and it is yours, O priest of Jesus Christ. And so just looking at that, that, that's always been my ideal of the priesthood, to consider having to live in the world and really try to turn your eye to all the pleasures of the world, but focus on living in anticipation of God's kingdom and to live in anticipation of heaven and to really allow yourself to be drawn into the lives of so many people without being able to participate in all their joys, but being there for them whenever they need it. Those are, those are the challenges. It's such an incredible ideal. You see Jesus doing it perfectly, and priests and everyone following Jesus' path trying to approximate that ideal to the best of their ability with God's strength and help and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. But that's exactly what it is. It's an ideal. And I think because it's so difficult in today's world and it's so countercultural that, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people fall short. You have many challenges in your life that challenge your faith. And that's really what life is about, is encountering all those challenges. Hopefully you have a good spiritual father or spiritual mother that you can turn to that can point you back to Christ, point you back to hope and eternal life, to the purpose of life, to giving your life to others. And uh, sometimes you need that, you know. Prayer is so beautiful and it's the, the cornerstone of our faith. But to have someone say, hey, that's exactly what you need to focus on, to encourage you to hear those words and to notice that someone is so giving and loving that they want to stop what they're doing to give you their full attention, that, that, that's a wonderful thing. And I think that's a, a key component to the spiritual fatherhood or spiritual motherhood. Mm -hmm. And do you think that the problem of trust is on both ends of that you have to be trusting as a spiritual father as well as to receive that Certainly. guidance of spiritual fatherhood? Certainly. Um, for me, I have, to, I have to be always, always trusting in God, trusting in His will, um, showing up to be a priest all the time, even on the days that I'm not really feeling it, and to always trust that if I show up and I try to always be open to God, to be an instrument in His hands, God works great things. Um, so trust for me for sure, but trust for whoever is seeking a closer relationship with God. So yes, it does go both ways. I was talking with a priest earlier this week who is my spiritual director presently, and we discussed how this happens often. Um, I will have people come up to me that I don't remember because I've had so many assignments in my priesthood and so many parts of town and parts of this archdiocese. And they'll come up to me, oh, Father, it's great to see you. I want to thank you so much for that time that you prayed for me or that time you did this or that time you helped me with that. And that it turned out great. Thank you so much. 
and I don't always remember them. Sometimes they give me enough detail that I remember, but most of the time I hear that and they're thanking me, and my first thought is, well, thank you, God, for taking care of them. It's never a pat on the back for myself. It's always, to me, and I hope that this is what humility is all about, and that maybe I'm doing a fairly good job at embracing humility, but it's always a reminder of, you know, that's why I trust in God. Because I did pray with them, I did offer them some advice, I did offer them some empathy at some point. I might not even recall it now, but ultimately as I, as I left them, I prayed that God takes them up, God takes them into His hands. And I think that's really what happens more often than not. Brings up another good point that's a challenge to spiritual fatherhood and the priesthood especially or specifically is uh, clericalism. I think there's always such a temptation for perhaps priests to pat themselves on the back and think that, hey, I did that. That was my work. Look how good I am. And to me, the key is, as a priest, is always reminding myself that it's not about me. It's about me getting them plugged into the Holy Spirit, me getting them plugged into a relationship with our Lord. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier um, about how college students, you only have a few years with them, and that's like, it's very true, you know, we're only here um, for so many years we may leave or stay, but how, how does your view or your role uh, as a spiritual father maybe differ between um, talking with those our age as like younger adults and students as to um, adults in a parish or, you know, people who stay around for, you know, they live here? It's different based on ages. Um, I, when I went to college, I went to a very large public university here in the state of Texas. And I feel like I can relate a lot better to the college students at this university because of my experiences. And I had a lot of varied experiences in college. I had a lot of uh, social circles that were different ways of life. And so I met a lot of people and was very open uh, to learning. And I think that's part of the college experience is meeting people from different cultures and different backgrounds and learning about them. I think that in a way makes it easier. At the same time, the problems that college students go through in this transition into their adult lives, it's a lot more limited as far as the types of problems that, are, that, that they go through and that I deal with and help them journey through. In the parish setting, you have people of all ages, all different backgrounds, all different experiences, all different socioeconomic backgrounds as well. So the work that a diocesan priest does in a parish is much, much more varied. For instance, here, it's very rare that I have a funeral, very rare, at least right now, that I have a wedding, because we don't have a beautiful chapel that might attract alumni to come back here and get married. We're hoping to build something, you know, in the next years, so that maybe we'll start having weddings. I don't have baptisms. That's, that's kind of infrequent. So it's kind of a different role, but I find it satisfying almost in a Pauline sense, because I, I really look to St. Paul for a lot of great inspiration. And in St. Paul's apostolic journeys, he was going around forming the earliest Christian communities, and he would only spend a short time with each of them. And to me, that offers confidence and trust in God and how the Holy Spirit works, that when you again can introduce people to a relationship with Christ, that God will do the work. And of course, there's always problems. That's why St. Paul wrote so many letters to these communities dealing with issues that were coming up. But it's beautiful to think that I can spend time with this younger generation who's going to go out and change the world. 
and that hopefully if I can do the work that God wants me to do, I can impact them and create that relationship with these young men and women with God that will carry them through through the rest of their life. Where even when they get into the parish life, um, they can change the parish life, which sometimes can grow stagnant. Mm -hmm. Because so many young men and young women here at this university Catholic Student Center, they really become on fire for the Holy Spirit and really learn what it means to love their neighbor and to spread the gospel. And I think and I hope that they go out in the parish life and bring a spark of the Holy Spirit into the parish life as well. Okay, um, hang on. So, I guess like you kind of answered this question, but if you could expand like a little bit on like what you think is, you can talk about either your heart, like your favorite part or like the hardest part that you think um, comes with like spirit, being a spiritual father to people. The hardest part, I'll do that first if you okay. remind me of the, of the greatest part once okay. I come to a conclusion on this one. The hardest part is not knowing that you're having any effects in people's mm -hmm. lives. And, and, and that's really what I was encountering difficulty with early in my priesthood when I was being moved from assignment to assignment. Um, you don't know. You don't know if the time you're putting in, if the love you're showing people, if the love you're, you're, you're celebrating in the Eucharist, your love for Jesus and how you celebrate the Mass, you don't know what effect that's having on people. You don't see it. And that was, that was the difficulty for me. That's what made my early priesthood so incredibly challenging. But what really helped is at one point when I was praying with the gospel of Jesus talking about being a laborer in the fields. And to me, I'd, I'd encountered this gospel passage so many times, but this is the first time I had this insight through the Holy Spirit that when God calls you to labor in the field, he doesn't ask you to deal with collecting the harvest and loading up the harvest in the trailer and taking it to the market and making sure it gets to the right people, that it's priced right, that it enters distribution chains properly. He just wants you to go labor out in the field and trust in him. So I found a lot of comfort when I encountered that gospel passage in the lectionary and I was praying with it and preparing for a homily because my thought was, go ahead and keep laboring. Don't worry about the bigger picture. This is what God has me doing right now. And if I keep laboring, I can trust in him, and I can be satisfied with knowing he has me where I need to be. I found another way of looking at this too. Sister Clarice, who works at this university setting, one of her favorite phrases that she often repeats is sowing seeds. And I think that's another beautiful image as well. Sometimes people aren't open because they don't have that trust relationship yet. They might not be open to spiritual fatherhood or spiritual motherhood and being guided to a relationship with Christ, but you're always sowing seeds. And sometimes the way I deal with what I perceive to be failure, when I'm not connecting with people, or you can tell that they're in mass and they're just not interested in being in there. Um, the way I deal with that is at some point I know in their life they might reach difficulty spiritually or emotionally or psychologically, where I pray that in the depths of their despair, they think about a good moment that they had in church, a good moment they had with a priest or a religious sister or brother, 
and that that thought of the good moment might lead them back to say, well, let me try to go to Mass. Let me try to pray because nothing else is working and I found myself in a dead end in my life. That gives me comfort, that knowledge that even if I don't know if I'm having an effect or I'm not seeing the fruit come to bear, that you're still planting seeds and those seeds will sprout in their own due course. And, th and that's a big aspect of God working in them through the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I've seen that happen as well. As far as um, the great aspects of spiritual fatherhood, well, because I'm a priest and I'm celibate and I'm never going to have children of my own, it's, it's wonderful to see people grow and come alive in the Holy Spirit, to work with them. And I think that's always immediately apparent. I'm noticing it now because I've been in this assignment long enough that I'm seeing students who are freshmen now getting ready to graduate. And you can really see the change in them. I discuss this often with Sister Clarice, and it's really beautiful to see their growth. I would think it's the growth that any teacher in any school setting really appreciates, and I'm really privy to that in this setting, and it's very beautiful because I know that growth is from the Holy Spirit and through their relationship with Christ, and I know that they will maintain that. They'll have their ups and downs in life, but they'll maintain it, and they're going to do wonderful things because they have that relationship with God and God's going to care for them because again my spiritual fatherhood is me it's not me it's me taking their hand and putting it in God's hand yeah that's, that's beautiful thank you I think that's very similar to other ministries um, that lay people can participate in I work a lot with the youth group at our church and I there's a lot of times where I'll have to remind myself okay you might not see the fruit of the ministry but it doesn't mean that there isn't fruit um, so that's definitely a hard thing to get past where there might not be tangible results to your work but um, it doesn't mean that it's not uh, it doesn't mean that it's fruitless um, I recently asked you to be my spiritual director and so I want to I touch a little bit on a question that is totally nachos he wrote this down but uh, why is it important um, you know, why is it important for a layperson to have a spiritual father? Because sometimes, um, especially in my life, a lot of times, I'll go to church and I'll like know who the priest is, but I don't really ever develop, um, you know, a, a closer relationship with that priest. So why is, you know, having a priest be a spiritual father to you an important aspect of a layperson's life? I know in my priesthood I have a spiritual director myself and it's tremendously important that I have a spiritual director. In fact, when I entered seminary and we were told everybody has a spiritual director and this is an aspect of your formation as you prepare for the priesthood, I remember picking my spiritual director who I had an affinity for, an attraction to because he was very fatherly-like and I thought he had a great prayer life and it, just the feeling of the spirit around him was, was magnificent. and. It was such a great experience for me. As I entered into spiritual direction myself, I remember constantly thanking and praying to God at Thanksgiving that this is something I've been looking for and I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know it existed. I'm a very introspective, a very reflective type person. And there's so many experiences that I've had that I've reflected on and I've thought about. But to be able to share them with someone else who can listen to them and recognize more easily God working in them 
in these circumstances and to be able to really gently point it out to them where there becomes a greater self-awareness of God working in your life, that's such a magnificent thing. I think it's, it's formulated on the basis of Jesus saying, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there he is in your midst. Mm-hmm. And that becomes so apparent to me in the spiritual direction process. And spiritual direction is always much less of the director actually directing someone's life, but more allowing the directee to verbalize how they're encountering God in their life. And through that verbalization, they come to a greater awareness and realization of that invisible reality of God through the Holy Spirit, taking action in their life and guiding them in so many beautiful ways. So it's always been... To me, spiritual direction, a process of discovery for both involved, both the directee and the director. And I think that's how it should be. I think if you ever get into a a spiritual direction relationship where the director does more of the talking, then there's a problem. Mm -hmm. But I've always grown so much from the relationship with my spiritual director. And then in the relationships I have with directees, I've grown from them too. I think that's why it's so tremendously important because... Again, in sharing God's work in your life with someone else, that really makes Jesus more present to that situation, as we know in Scripture. But it's so much easier to explore when you have someone that you can bounce ideas off of, that you can um, explore faith with. And, and you see that in so many circumstances. You see it in life as well, amongst lay people, especially in trades. There's always been apprenticeships and so forth. Of course, in the United States, a lot of that has changed now where you have a university system. But classically, you'd always have apprenticeships. And um, that, would, that was the way artisans were trained. And it became such a, in a way, a motherhood or a fatherhood for people that it was, it was great. That's how people began their careers was by being apprenticed to someone where they can really take time to help them and show them all the small little details of what they've learned. And, and that's also beautiful about spiritual direction. That's why, as a director, I still learn from every relationship I have with the directee. Because while I've learned some things from my personal experiences, I'm still learning. I think that key component of humility has to be present in order to always keep learning. And God works in everybody so beautifully. He doesn't work in priests more than he works in lay people's lives. So... It's such a it's such a wonderful relationship. It has so much uh, fertile ground for growth and discovery. So I, I think it's tremendously important. And of course, the one-on-one situation is a better avenue or venue for learning, because in a setting in church on Sunday when the priest is preaching to everyone, th- th- that's a homily. That's just preaching a sermon. Mm-hmm. But to have the person be able to talk back to you and interact, wonderful. It, it makes that invisible much more visible and tangible in our lives. The presence of the Holy Spirit. Awesome. Does anyone else have any questions? Any other questions? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Then kind of, I guess what we'll close it out with is uh, kind of asking you, Father, if you could, um, someone might be scared or like untrusting of like a spiritual father or spiritual mother, what is kind of maybe in like a sentence or two, how would you sum it up, but kind of go forth of like, hey, you should go and do this or like some parting words from you to them? Everything is going to begin with the sacraments, with Mass. Sometimes it begins with the sacrament of reconciliation. You, you have often people coming into the sacrament who haven't visited the sacrament of reconciliation in years. And the care of the priest and taking the time with those people. And, and incidentally, that's why when you go into confession, you say, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. My last confession was X many years ago. 
it's a hint to the priest not of like how good of a Catholic you are, but how much care they need and time they need to take with you. So if you have a person who hasn't been in in 20 years, okay, let's slow down a little bit. You know, let's be much more pastoral in how we, we treat this person. Not to say that I'm, I'm mean to people who come in often, <laughs> I'm certainly not, but it's an indicator. And oftentimes their experience in that sacrament of really encountering and feeling God's mercy and the peace that comes from that, the healing, the spiritual healing that comes from it, is enough of a springboard for them to start opening their hearts that may have been closed off by you know, difficulties of the world. People can be mean in the world where you want to close yourself off to others because you've been hurt or you've encountered trauma. Um, that opening that occurs through God's Spirit in that sacrament is enough to get them started where they start trusting. And then maybe being exposed to a good caring priest at Mass or, you know, a good sister who's teaching confirmation classes like we have here at this university is enough for them to start warming up to this idea that maybe when I'm going through a problem, I don't need to turn to self-help, to medicating myself with substances of the world, but maybe opening up to someone who I think maybe is trusting, who maybe represents God to me. And, and I think that's the key step in that whole spiritual fatherhood or spiritual motherhood, is just building a trust relationship. So it can come through the sacrament, sacrament of reconciliation. It can come in mass or adoration too. I think in mass, if you're really focusing on the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, and you have a soul that is reconciled with God because maybe you have gone to the sacrament of reconciliation recently, where you can really feel that presence and dive into it and feel the love and the welcome and the warmth that's there in the Eucharist, I think that's enough to get hearts open or maybe they're willing to take that next step to open up and confide in a priest or a religious sister or brother that um, can help further guide them on that path that Jesus wants us to take up. Thank you so much. Um, I originally wasn't going to say this like about a week ago when I was thinking about it, but Eric and I were uh, driving around yesterday and we were talking about this idea of spiritual fatherhood and even just Father Jason here at our own like parish. And Eric just brought up such a beautiful point where he was like, honestly, bro, he's like, I love Father Jason. I would ride for that guy. Like, I would ride for him to death. And I was like, I started laughing. I was like, that's true. And he's like, he's like, it's like, he's my dad, you know? And like, <laughs> I just want to make him proud because I'm like his son. And I started laughing. I was like, that's so true, Eric. I was like, you're, you're right. I would. Like, I do want to make him proud and everything I do. He's like, yeah, like, I get a good grade. I'm going to be like, Hey, Father Jason, I got a really good grade on this test. <laughs> he's like, I'm so excited. He's like, I don't know. He's like, it's just nice to have that. He's like, because a lot of my parish, um, a lot of the priests there that were like tending to us were a lot more tending towards like the adults. And I get why they were doing that because the adults nurture the youth. He's like, I didn't get that, but I felt like I never had any solid interactions with priests. He's like, and then coming here, Father Jason literally just blows my mind every single time I come to Mass. <laughs> we go to spiritual direction, he blows my mind. So he's like, yeah, like, I don't know. He's like, I feel like, that would answer your question, what spiritual fatherhood is. He's like, for me, he's like, is that I would ride or die for my priest, like, no matter <laughs> what point in my life. He's like, it's just because I respect him and all that he's done for me. And I was like, that's beautiful, Eric. Thank that's you so awesome. much for sharing that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, if you guys don't have any more questions, right. um, that's kind of good. I want to follow up on that but because one of the questions that you were, you were indicating that you would ask is dealing with uh, celibacy and the priesthood and spiritual fatherhood. I think that's the key ingredient. The key ingredient is I'm not going to be a biological father so that all I'm left with is spiritual fatherhood. 
which is such a task in and of itself because there's so many people that belong to parishes. There's so many students who walk in the doors that need care and time and need prayer that through celibacy, that's my only focus. And that's really my key delight is in helping other people grow and helping other people develop a relationship with Christ. And, and, and what you were saying about Eric's comments, you know, <laughs> that's magnificent. To me, it's nothing special that I've been doing other than doing what I think a priest is supposed to be, like I read from you, for you the words of uh, Jean-Baptiste Henry Lacordaire. And it's showing up. It's showing up and praying to God before I preach on all of my Sunday Masses, like, God, please give me the words that these people need to hear. It's holding them in my prayer when I, when I leave this, this ministry site. And, and I think that's really what good parents do as well, good, good lay, lay people as parents. They love their children, they want the best for them, and they try to be there for them as much as they can. And, and I think that's all it is really what spiritual fatherhood is, spiritual motherhood is. Definitely. Well, thank you, Father Jason, for coming yes. on our podcast and thank sharing your wise you words. We Jason. really appreciate you for all that you do here at our uh, parish, but most of all, just answering your vocation of the priesthood. And Thomas will kind of segue us out of the podcast. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. I want to give a shout-out to my Exodus fraternity. They made an exception so they can listen to the podcast. Uh, So shout-out to them. We had a bike ride today. It was very cold and raining. Um, So I'm proud of them. Uh, We want to give another big thanks to Father Jason. You're welcome. And we want to say that tomorrow, or not tomorrow, next week, we will be discussing biking and whether or not it's a good idea to bike when it's raining and cold and shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> so with that, we leave you. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and God bless.